Morning, everybody. Wow. Okay. Uh, if you're like way out the back and you want to come up here, Pam, Mike, don't be shy. You guys, there's a whole bunch of seats. Come on, don't, just come on. And while they're doing that, we actually have some Obi Joyful t-shirts. Um, and uh, there, there are about 50 of them and there's about 250 of you. But these, they're, I think they're like 20 bucks, but here you go. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, even when we expand, we'll still be able to toss the t-shirts, it won't be like that. All right, well, so good to have you guys here, I hope you uh, feel really warm and invited and welcome in the family of Christ. Guys, I'll move this down so you can, there we go, all right, so we're in a series uh, that is uh, called Great Prayers. And we're just looking at amazing prayers in the scripture, some very simple, some complicated, uh, but they're all from different people, different points of view. And what they're teaching us is how to communicate with God, because we all struggle with how do we communicate with God? How do we keep that alive? How do we continue to be engaged with the God of the universe as humans? So that's what we're doing. We just have a few weeks left in that series. Uh, today, and you heard uh, Sadie read it, uh, I, when I was studying the passage, I was thinking, you know, we need a child to read this. It's Psalm 90 if you want to turn there. But uh, Sadie just has the most beautiful uh, voice, and I thought, if Sadie could read that to us, it'd be great. So Psalm 90, if you want to open that spot. I'm only going to read a couple of verses out of it, but let me encourage you. Psalm 90 is an incredible place to go. If you want to spend some time with God and then want something rich, to just fill you up and just continue to give you more and more, man, Psalm 90 will do it. So take a look at that. Uh, This week, I think it was Friday morning, I was coming down to meet a friend for breakfast at 7 up at Izzy's. And so I'm I'm coming down, and it's one of those mornings, if you were around here, there was a great inversion. So the clouds were like crushed down on town. And it was just awesome. I mean, it was beautiful. And then about Slate, about the river, it's like... (laughs) I just got taken over by the clouds, right? And so you know, you've experienced that. And I came into town. It was really uh, deep. I don't know if it's fog or clouds. One of you scientists can tell me. But whatever it was, um, I was in that. And I met my friend. And, and in the restaurant, people were talking about, you know, the snow. It was the first day we've had some snow on the peaks. And my friend said, oh, man, I didn't even see that because of the cloud, you know, the inversion. I couldn't see. It was all just, you know, maybe the tops of just downtown. You could see the tops of the buildings at the most. And when he was saying that, it just struck me because I had just seen this incredibly beautiful scene and he'd been trapped and socked in, you know? Now that just up above, probably on the bench, you know, just 30 or 40 feet above elk is a whole different view. A whole, oh, um, excuse me. Um, just above elk is a whole different view of everything, right? And as I was studying this passage, I realized in Psalm 90, something is happening there with Moses where he is actually, um, I think, rising above the, the place that he is in seeing the majesty of God, the goodness and the greatness, the incredible power of God. And when he sees that, he's overwhelmed and he, he writes this prayer that we have today. And so I, I want to encourage you as we're going through this to possibly in your own heart, in your time alone, even this morning, um, 
I guess the greatest challenge is that we would be awakened to the greatness of God. Okay? This prayer, uh, and, and as we go through it, you'll see how he does it. I just want to encourage you, if there's anything, and I'll probably say this several times, anything that we can do that awakens us to the incredible majesty of the God of the universe is a beautiful thing. And it's repeated in this prayer, and I think we can say those, the words about that awakening back to God. So, just be thinking about that. There's a really beautiful process in the prayer as well. He, Moses is awakened, and then he, in that, as that happens, you'll see it in the first few verses, and then he moves to this period of confession, and he just speaks to God about where he is and where the people are. Moses is often speaking for the people as a whole, right? And then after that, he comes back, and he, a long part of the passage is about asking for God's favor, just making a plea, a request for the, the, really the happiness of God. So that's the process we're going to follow, just the three sections of the passage. And uh, so let's, uh, let's see. Let's just start with that idea of awakening. Now, you've you got to remember when we're talking about Moses, that Moses is like 80 plus, okay? He's, he's an older man, and he is leading this tribe of Israel. And it, this guy has been through some stuff, Right? Moses, like, God calls him to do something he doesn't think he can do, right? Go talk to Pharaoh, like the leaders of the, of the known world, right? And his, that's a challenging thing. But then as soon as God releases them through all this trial, he's faced with being cornered by uh, the, the land and the water and the army. I mean, God just doesn't ever let up on this guy right? His life is tough. And all the way through, you never are presented with a Moses that is a perfect guy. He doesn't have it all together. You know, he's a, he's a murderer at about age 40. And now here he is somewhere in 80, and he's led the people into the wilderness. And now somewhere in the wilderness, they're suffering, they're trying to survive, they're migrating, they have no land, they are refugees trying to make it. And Moses has this moment in, in the midst of, I think that would be somewhat of a despairing kind of a leadership situation, a cultural situation. He rises above that and he sees, he just has a moment where he sees the majesty of God. Look at it, it's in verse 1 and 2, I want to read to you. Okay. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I don't know if you notice in there of the, the importance of time. This whole, if, if you're studying this, if you take some time with Psalm 90 later, what's something that seems to awaken this uh, passion of, of Moses around who God is, is this idea of time. So I'm going to read it again, and then you think about how that may have awakened him. Like, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, our safety, our security, for all generations, in all time of all people, before the mountains were brought forth, that you see, or ever you even formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You see all the time elements in that? And it continues through the whole passage. It's, it's pretty amazing. There's sort of this uh, intellectual trigger for Moses that sends him, and he says, oh, because of this, I recognize the, 
this glory of God. I can't escape because of what he has done. This wonder. And the last three words of that, to me, uh, of this awakening are, are pretty, pretty poignant. He says, you are God. There's something in his description that's poetic for me. I, I don't know why, but when he, he says, all this, you've been our dwelling place from generation to generation, for all generations, you, you, from before you created the mountains, before the earth was formed and everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's awakened to this thing that takes him to this other level of understanding. Have you ever had those, those moments where, uh, where it just something just clicks and you didn't know how to do it and then you do? Or you finally understand? I, what came to mind for me was actually, I don't know if Chad's in here, Chad Olson. I think he may be downstairs, but he taught me to teleski, which is a pretty uh, hilarious looking thing, you know. This guy, Telly Skiing. And uh, so he's teaching me first day, run one over on the, you know, the bunny slope. And he, he's, so I'm trying to go down. Of course, it doesn't work. And he says, well, what you need to do is just square your shoulders to the slope, to the fall line of the mountain every time, no matter what. And you skiers know all about that. I didn't know anything about that. And then when I did that, it changed everything. Suddenly, I was in another place. And I think that's what's happening with him with Moses Something happened when he, in regard to time and understanding the, like the finite nature of man and the infinite nature of God and the fact that we somehow still matter to God just lit him up. And he went, oh, this makes sense. I'm above the clouds. I'm above what I'm just down in. I'm struggling with and the sufferings of my people and whatever's going on in life. And you know what your stuff is. He was above that and so, something pushed him to that place. I wonder, so let me ask you this. If you're a believer in here, what would it be like if we, as believers, actually had true moments where we were awakened to who God is and spent time talking to him about that? How would that transform you, your heart, your family in this community or the community that you live in? I mean, think about that for a second. One or two of us, you know, Moses, here's Moses. He's one guy. He, he has this moment where he sees that he's above the clouds. He's above what he's stuck in, the things that he's trying to voraciously fill himself up with like it's going to work. And then suddenly he's out of that and he goes, oh my gosh, there's a whole nother thing going on here. All this stuff I'm focused on is like so temporary and you're so incredible, right? What if just a few of us had that awakening? What could it mean to our communities? Think about it. So I want, that's the most important thing I want to encourage you to just think about what would it take for you to be awakened, for me to be awakened to who he is? Where is that place? What's that thing that helps you get there, that helps you move to, into that space? You know, I think of Moses too. He's, a lot of times you read about him going up on the mountain and he had some pretty bad experiences on the mountain. He had some pretty amazing experiences on the mountain, but he, he's up above and you you know, there, there's not a whole lot of trees. He's looking down. Unless he goes around the corner somehow, he's seeing back down. He's seeing all the mess in his life. It's all those people camped down there. But he's got his eyes up with God just for a little bit. And, th- and this prayer is a part of that. So the next thing he does is there's this period of confession that's pretty, pretty bold in here, pretty, uh, pretty, it's pretty heart-wrenching, really. We're not going to read all of it, but just a little bit. And you'll see in several of the prayers that we're going to study, if you go back and, and read ones we've been to, confession is often a piece of the communication with God that's really important to sync us with him. Look at verse 7 and 8. For we are brought to an end by your anger. 
By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities, our shortcomings, our rebellion, all before you, our secret sin in the light of your presence. That's a pretty, pretty bold confession. I mean, there isn't anybody, when I read that and I thought about reading it to you, I'm thinking, oh, secret sin. Nobody wants to talk about that. Because we all, as soon as I said secret sin, all of you are like, oh, God. <laughs> Including myself. So I'm going to tell you a bunch of my secret sins. Wouldn't that be uncomfortable? <laughs> you already know what they are. Is there you don't want to know. <laughs> the reason, so he says several things about God's anger and wrath. The, the hardest things for us to understand about how can a good God be wrathful and so angry. But you know, he says, he says, um, by your wrath and we are dismayed, you have our iniquities before you, our secret sin in the light of your presence. It is us that brings God's wrath. God's not just sitting in his throne, if you will, being wrathful and angry. Wrath is a result of the sin of humankind and even the individual sin of us, you and I. Now, for some of us, we're like, oh, that's so frustrating. I don't understand. That's not fair. That's because you don't realize how valuable you are. I don't realize how valuable, valuable I am. Because my actual sin, this sin that I commit, offends the God of the universe. Now, what does that say about the value of this guy, of you? Okay, that's not a, a, a injustice against you. That raises you up and myself up to the highest possible level of value. We are the only part of God's creation that doesn't automatically do what he created us to do. Did you sing the words we just sang? Tyler, I mean, the, the words were, you know, the mountains do it, creation does it, animals do it, I rebel. I'm the, we are the only thing, but somehow we are that valuable. We have to come to grips with the fact that you and I have an impact on the cosmic order of what God has created. That is what it is. And so when he is angry and wrathful, it is because of that. It's because of our deliberate uh, rebellion and trying to fill ourselves, being in that cloud underneath, filling ourselves with everything we think will make us feel good and take care of it. Um, you know, confession is one of those things in, uh, in any relationship that is really powerful and poignant. And I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago how I had a really hard time just confessing to Claire about something that was her fault that um, <laughs> we, uh, yeah. My friend Gary like totally called me out, wrote an email and he said, no, no, it was you. It was you. Don't be, don't be silly, which is true. Uh, but it's so hard to say whether I'm sorry or just to simply confess, you know, this is what happened. Let me just put it out. Let me tell you what that was. Let me, let me say it. it's hard in relationships here. It's also hard with God. For some reason, even though he knows our secrets and he knows what, there is something in speaking to him back what it is that we have done, where we are, what our rebellions are that makes a difference. Confession is important with us and with God. I mean, how much is a relationship healed when someone confesses to you? Says, man, that, this happened and I know it and I'm, I'm sorry. 
I mean, you already want to just hug me right now because you're like, I feel like we feel we're close, right? Because we, I just said that. You want, there's so many people you want that to say that. You want to say it too, but you can't. And I can't. So confession is critical, and we'll just see it again and again in the prayers that we are studying. Uh, so when I'm thinking about Moses in this situation, it's almost like, you know, he says, he wakes up and he goes, oh my gosh, God, you are so good. You're so powerful. You're the, you are God. I've got to confess. And it reminded me of the prodigal son. It reminded me of the story where Jesus says, you know, there's this guy, he takes his inheritance, he goes and blows it on everything you can, you know, more immorality you can think of, and he ends up in the worst possible place. He's at the bottom of life. And suddenly he goes, wait a second, my dad is really good. All I, have, I just need to go confess. And he'll at least make me a servant, right? I think something's happening. I mean, this great man, Moses, one of the greatest, you know, leaders and most broken men that we know in the scripture comes to this point where he's like the prodigal son. He goes, oh my gosh, God is above all things. I just, I need to go confess. And that's what he does in the prayer. And I think if we are in that process, um, we will be, uh, it it will be a beautiful thing. We might even write something like this. How can we get from that place of, uh, in the fog to a place of awakening that leads us then to a place of confession? That's a question I just want you to ask yourself. I need to ask, what do I do to get to that awakening place that leads me to confession? Well, he, he gives several verses about the wrath of God. He says, it's bad. It's bad. We've really messed up. It's bad, bad, bad. And then he makes this complete turn to looking for the favor of God. And this is our last point. He, he moves to this place where he says, God, but will you make me happy? It's if you really look at it, really think about what he's doing in the communication with God, it's a big, they're just juxtaposed to each other so closely, and it's kind of a, an odd thing. Look at uh, verse, I think it's like 12 through, through the end, uh, he starts asking for God to show favor. And in verse 17, he says it pretty clearly. He says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And when you go back and read it, You'll see he asks, I'm going to read you the list of things he asks for. Teach us. He says, teach us to number our days. That's one of those things that is time related. He says, return to us. Bring your spirit back to us. We're lost without you. Satisfy us. Make us glad. In other words, make us happy. Let us see your power. Remind us of how good you are. Let your favor be upon us. That's the one I just read. And then a really cool one at the end, establish our work. And he says that twice. Yes, Lord, establish our work. And I just want to hit a couple of those before we close. One, he says, satisfy us in verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. That word satisfy means to completely fill up. Just, I am full with that. I don't need anything else. Wouldn't that be incredibly nice to to just be filled with Jesus. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, I know it may be a stretch to think of what that might be like, but wow, to be filled and with someone that loves me so much that I can mortally offend him and he still will fill me. And he's not filling me with anger, he's filling me with who he is, which is joy and even happiness. Joy sometimes gets defined as like uh, contentment in the midst of strife. 
And that's true, but he really is asking for more than that in this place. But he says, satisfy us. I want to read you a quick quote from C.H. Spurgeon. Uh, He was talking about this passage and he says, what can you want more to satisfy your heart than love and to be loved by him? Our hearts all crave for an object upon which they may be set. We often surrender, listen to this, we often surrender ourselves to an unworthy object which betrays us or proves too narrow to accommodate our heart's desire. But if you love Jesus, you will love the one who deserves your affection, who will amply repay your fullest confidence and will never betray it. Satisfy us. And he says, make us glad. Like I said, literally happy. But what is interesting about that is that, you know, Moses is, he is acquainted with both joy and suffering. And he's watching the suffering down below in in this world that he's seeing. There is something about the life of humans and you and I that we have to be able to go forward in life holding tragedy and suffering and joy. And we have to embrace them both. It's because the result of sin is that we have to hold this side. We have to embrace it. And God uses it to sharpen us, to grow us, to draw us to him. He carries us through it. He doesn't destroy us with it, but it's balanced with joy. And Moses is saying, the way he says it is, let us know as much joy as you have given allowed suffering. Let us hold them both. So there is the favor that is sometimes supersedes the suffering, but we need to hold them together. Make us glad. And then he says, show us your work. Let us be amazed by what you do. I was listening to uh, NPR. I don't know if some of you heard this. It was just a, a, a little two-minute thing or five-minute thing about the electric eel. Did anybody hear that this week? All right, just me. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so uh, they were talking about what these scientists have, really don't know hardly anything about the electric eel. And for me, one of the things that awakens me to the greatness of God is science. Okay, I'm no scientist, but when I see the incredible complexity of something that humans cannot possibly understand and have not been able to explain how an eel ever came to the point where it can create 700 watts, 700 watts, nobody knows why that happened, what the purpose of it is even, they don't know. That's because God made it the way he wanted to make it. And, you know, those th- and that's a kind of a macro e- example. You know, we talked about the stars, the billions of stars. What, these are the things for me that sort of lift me to a place where I'm awakened. I say, oh, my gosh, God, show me your work. Show me more of that. You know, it might be for you geology or just a blade of grass or your kids. your fam- I don't know. Whatever it is that, t- that moves us there, he's saying, show us your work. Take us to that other place. And then it, the last one I'm just going to bring up, he says, establish our work. In other words, and he says, like I told you, he says it twice, establish our work. Most of us work most of the week. We spend most of our hours by far working and then sleeping and then a little bit with other people. I mean, that we're interacting with outside of work, okay? So make our work valuable. Give meaning to our work. This is powerful. It's powerful then. I mean, they're in the wilderness. All they're doing is surviving. But Moses says, give meaning to my work. And you guys that are in college, wherever you are, I mean, especially there, but looking forward, 
all of us, we, we so desperately want our, our work to have meaning. And it, so it only has meaning when it is fueled by the God of the universe. If it's all about us and all about just filling our pockets and filling our, whatever our achievement list is and all that stuff, man, we will come to the point where we're like, well, that didn't work. Instead, God, the God, give my work meaning. Just pray that for a while. Pray, God, give my work meaning. See what happens. See, if we were all awakened to the incredible majesty of God and the value that we have, even that our little tiny sin makes him so angry, but he would still come and take care of us. But I think every song we sang had to do with that today. Then that would move us to, I think, a new place in following Jesus in our world. And it would impact the communities that we live in in ways that we can't even expect to have happen. I think this is just an incredible model for prayer, awakening confession and praying for favor. So think about it. We're going to, let me ask the folks that are doing and helping with communion to come on forward. Music guys, if y'all are doing something, we're going to transition to that. And as they're doing that, I want to, uh, I want to just pray that God will awaken us and even use the time that we're going to have right now to uh, engage with him so that he does begin that process. Father, uh, it's just uh, it's so beautiful to read the, the words of a man who was so, he was such a, uh, a violent person, um, a passionate person, a scared person, a broken person, angry. He lost his temper. He lost his temper so bad, badly that uh, you did not allow him to go into the land that he had waited more than 40 years to go into. Yet, Lord, he sees your greatness and your majesty. And so I pray for us as we look now at what Jesus did to even to bring us to an amazing place of peace with you, uh, peace that we broke. God, I, I just ask that you will uh, let these moments uh, engage us in that in a sincere way. So in Jesus' name, we lift this up. Amen.